Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Before I begin this morning, uh, can I share a little something that's going on with our 7th and 8th graders in junior high, which is where I spend most of my time these days? I wonder if you could email me the name of somebody you know who, by their faithfulness to Christ, is responsible for you being here today. They might not have a dramatic testimony or sin story of leaving their Christian walk and coming back, but because they were steady, because they were faithful, they played an instrumental role in you coming to Christ and being where you are in your walk today. And the reason that I ask for that is this. As I work with teenagers, one of the things that we hear too often is, I wish I had a better testimony. I don't have a good testimony. And by that, they mean they don't have some dramatic story to tell of falling away from the Lord and coming back. I've even heard teenagers say, I feel like I need that. I feel like I I, I need to walk away. So no, really, so that I can come back and have a dramatic story to tell. But the point is this, nearly all of us have faithful people in our lives, in our past, who don't have a dramatic story, but because of their faithfulness, God used them in a critical way to bring you to where you are today. So this is what I'm going to do. In two weeks, I'm going to give a message called The Empty Chair. And what we're going to do that weekend is we're going to set up twice as many chairs as we have kids there. So everybody's going to be sitting next to an empty chair, and we're going to tell them, the empty chair represents your friend who doesn't know the Lord but needs to know the Lord. And then on the screen behind me, I want to fill it with all of these names of people who, because of their faithfulness, God used them to bring you to where you are in faith today. And I want to point at that wall and I want to say, someday will your name be up on that wall? So if you've got someone like that in your past, that's my email address right there. It's also at the top of the sermon outline in your notes. If you think of it and you just want to send me that name, if you want to send me a description of how God used them, that's great. But I don't need the description, just, just the name for the purposes of this sermon. And uh, let's reclaim the meaning of a testimony together as a church for our 7th and 8th graders. So in April, I became a dad. And that's the kids. How about that? Shortly after they were born, Blakely on the outside and Grayson next to her. And then in the middle, they're switched. This is uh, from a month ago, Grayson and Blakely. And then over here, sometimes when you wish for a miracle, you get two. Yeah. So to answer some questions that uh, we commonly get, uh, we're not quite sleeping through the night. However, the last four nights in a row, my son has slept from bedtime until get-up time in the morning. Pretty good. And so we feel like his sister uh, won't be too far behind. Um, my son had some feeding issues early on, but those seem to have been resolved, and he's passed those things. Uh, they seem to like each other. They seem to be friends, and they get along. And uh, each day just gets better than the last. They'll be five months old next Wednesday. And uh, we love them. We love them. They're perfect. And they're not perfect, of course. You know that. You say that about your kids. They're perfect, but they're not perfect, but you love them anyhow. 
And that's where I want to go this morning, is that God, as our Father, can love us despite our imperfections. God is our Father. Now, let's begin by acknowledging that for some of us, the concept of God as a Father is a difficult concept for us, because maybe your dad wasn't a great dad. Maybe your dad was absent. Maybe your dad uh, pushed you too hard. Maybe your dad communicated that he loved you conditionally and it was all about performance. Maybe he worked too much and didn't invest enough time in you. And so when you hear God is my father, you just say, that's not a useful concept to me. I I don't want God to be my father because my father was not a, a model of a loving, caring individual, or it just doesn't compute with you. God as my father. So we can turn away from that concept and we can discard it or, or we can turn towards it and peer into it and understand what we're really seeing there is that when we say God is a father, it's really a picture of his purity and his perfection. See, in other words, God is a father and the Bible calls him a father, but that's not all that he is and that's not the only way to understand him. And when we say that God is your father, that doesn't mean that everything that was true about your father is also true about God. But sometimes God gives us sneak peeks into the fullness of who he is. Like when Moses went up the mountain in uh, Exodus uh, 33, 34, and he said to God, God, show me your glory. Let me see your face. And God said, you can't see my face and live, but I'll pass by you and you can see the back of me. And you come away from these encounters where your eyes are open to who God really is and you, you have chills. And you can imagine the, the chills, the goosebumps that Moses had when he came down the mountain after encountering God in that way. Well, in the same way, My kids have changed me. And that might be an obvious statement if you've had kids. Kids change you. I hope it's a permanent change. Time will tell. But whether you have been a parent or you are not yet a parent or you're never going to be a parent, what I hope to do this morning is take you on a journey with me back into the early days and weeks of my young kids' lives because there were things that I saw and things that I experienced and insights that I had, and I got to give love in a way that I had only read about before, but I'd never been able to give. And and in taking you on this journey with me together, maybe this morning, you and I can see God. So that's where we're going to go this morning. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll start there. Matthew chapter 5. It's worth asking, if God is a father, what kind of father is he? In the Old Testament, God isn't referred to as a father much, and there's some debate or some question over whether the Old Testament Jews considered God to be their father. There are references to God being like a father or the father of Israel, but it's a different thing to say that God is like a father or to say that God is a father to a group of people and to say that he is actually your father. So if you look at Matthew 5, verse 16, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is at the beginning of his preaching career, and he says this. You know this verse well. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What kind of father is God? He's your father. He's your father. He's your father. He's your father. father. A personal God. Not just the father to the person sitting next to you. Not that super holy guy over there. He's your father. Not only that, but he's a father not just in fact, 
but a father indeed. He does the things that a father ought to do, as evidenced in this way. Number one, God as a father delights in the fact of your very existence. The Bible says in Genesis that God created the universe, and at the end of each day, he looked at it and he said, that is good. And then when it was all done and people were created and the creation was done, he looked at it and he said, that is very good. And then what did he do? He rested. He rested. So there's a sweet time in your life in the days and weeks after your children are born where all you do is rest to the extent that that's possible and you love them for the fact of their very existence. You're not thinking about the future. You're not imposing performance expectations on them. You're not anxious for what they'll become. You're just excited in the fact that they are here. And so for my wife and I, who went through about a two-year struggle with infertility, which included miscarriages, and, and then she became pregnant, and we felt that whole way through that pregnancy that, like, we're just not sure that this is real. Is this going to end badly? Are they really going to carry to term? What's going to happen here? And with twins, they expect they, they really could come any day. But she made it. The doctor wanted her to go 38 weeks in one day, and, and she made it. And there near the end, she was going to the doctor for precautionary checkups every, like, two or three times every single week. And so we just were on edge through the whole pregnancy. And then here's, um, that's, that's the day they're born. Go back one slide, if you will, for just a second. So here's the night before, we're as ready as we can be. I mean, as ready as you can be. The house is all ready to go. That morning, we pack up honestly not even knowing at all what to expect. Got a scheduled C-section for about 9.30 in the morning. We get there down to the hospital, and it's delayed by an hour. You know, so we're just sitting there kind of on edge. And finally, they come and get us, okay, it's time. So they wheel my wife down to the delivery room, and I get to go, but I have to sit outside. The husband sits outside while they prep your wife inside, thank goodness. And then... It's like a million people coming in and out of the room. And, and then finally, they open the door and they say, OK, now, OK, it's time. You go inside. And it's just surreal and clinical and medical. And there's two empty bassinets sitting outside the room. It's like, this is just so weird. And uh, you're in there in the, in the delivery room. And, and uh, it was a C-section, as I said. So it went really pretty quick. And it was not at all what I expected, not like TV, not like the movies where they hand the baby to you and they're glowing and clean. It's not like that. So the babies get delivered, and they do their initial checks, and they wrap them up in a little blanket, and, and then they take them out, and they set them in the bassinets, and they wheel my wife away to the recovery room, and now it's just me and the babies and another nurse. We wheel these bassinets down the hall. I'll never forget, the first people that we saw as we round the corner to the, to the room that we're headed to, my mother-in-law and my, my wife's sister, the kid's aunt, with tears in their eyes. They're so excited. And that was the moment that I realized it was okay to be joyful and simply to delight in the fact of their very existence. They're here. They're here. Think what God thinks when he looks at you. They're here. You exist, and that's enough for him. No performance expectation, no sales quota that you have to meet, no degree that you have to earn, no amount of money in your bank account. He just looks at you and delights in the fact of your very existence because you're here. And he's so excited about that. 
And then we, we stay in the hospital a few days, and, and on Monday, they say, it's time to go home. And, and so we pack up. That's the next picture here. And we're just, you know, panicked. Like, when you're at the hospital, it's great, because it's five-star service, and you ring the little bell, and they're right there to meet your every need. And then go to the next slide here. We'll show you the picture. This is... This is dad with a look of abject fear on his face. Like, <laughs> you really expect us to do this? How is this going to happen? So we pack them up in their little car seats. And, and I remember driving home in the CRV on the freeway at like 10 miles an hour. You know, you're just <laughs> so careful. Cars whizzing by you and everything like that. But, but I remember my eyes being opened to life everywhere. And this might sound corny, but I'm not only thinking about my kids in the back seat, but I'm thinking about that person in the car next to me and how one day they were born and they had parents who delighted in the fact of their very existence. And I'm noticing the sky in a new way and we're pulling off on the off-ramp and I'm noticing there's weeds in the, in the ditch and they grow and they appear exactly how God wanted them to. And life just slows down to a crawl. And at that moment, I'm not thinking about next week. And I'm not thinking about coming back to work. And I'm not thinking about who the kids will be in 10 years or if they'll be easy or difficult or anything like that. I am just purely full of joy. My heart is so full with the reality and the love of their existence. Now, God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you ever paused to consider what is it that God loves about the world. Because I'm sure that there's plenty of things that you and I can look at the world and we don't love what we see. We don't. We see brokenness and heartache and wickedness revealed on the news every single night. And we see strife and famine and war and terrorism. And there's plenty of things that we as Christians can look at the world and say, I don't like that. I don't like that. I, I don't care for that person. I don't care for that group of people. What is it that God looks at the world and sees that he loves? You think God is impressed when he looks at the world? God's love is not conditioned on any performance or status or reason. God values you, intrinsically you. Ryan preached on this a few weekends ago about the value of us spending time in God's presence at the feet of Jesus no agenda, no task list, just there. But have you ever considered that God also values the same thing, time with you? We speak of eternal life and we say you'll, you'll be in heaven with God forever and we should want that. But have you ever considered that God wants to be in heaven forever with you because he loves you for the fact of your very existence? So with my children right now, I'm not caught up in performance. I'm not caught up in developmental milestones. I'm not caught up in comparing against other kids. That'll come. That'll come very easily. Right now, I just love them for their very existence. And God loves you the same way. So what kind of father is he? He's a father who delights in your very existence. The second thing is he's a father who knows just what you need. Look one chapter ahead in Matthew chapter 6, still in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 at verse 25. In most Bibles, the subheading on this is do not worry. And it says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, 
or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is an extraordinary passage, so let's consider this. Because I think that they get the subheading wrong. The subheadings weren't in the original text. Those are things that editors have, have added. You say, what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, do not worry. Uh, I think it's deeper than that. Because if you look at the section before that, what Jesus is saying is don't live your life for money. Don't get caught up in the rat race of accumulating earthly possessions. And now, in verse 25, he moves ahead and says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. See, I think Christ is saying, don't live for the wrong things, chasing material possessions. Don't aim too high, but don't aim too low either. Don't fall into the mistake of thinking that your life is just about getting by. Oh, that's just the best I can do. It's just eke out a day-to-day existence. And Jesus is saying there's more to life than that. Because look at the flowers of the field. God takes care of them, but they're here today. They're going to be burned tomorrow. And don't worry about what are we going to eat, what are we going to wear. Even, even the pagans ask for those things. Well, as Christians, we should live differently than the pagans, shouldn't we? Your heavenly Father knows that you need those things. Verse 33, that's the key. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So this tells me two things. Number one, we need to pray differently. We need to pray bigger prayers as Christians. We don't just pray to eke out a day-to-day existence. I guess it's the best I can do. We need to pray for big things and expect God to do big things because there's more to life than just clothes and food and shelter. Those are the basics, and they're important. But Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come that you would have life and have it to the full. He didn't say, I came that you would just be alive. I just merely want you to be alive and subsist. He wants you to have life to the full. So we pray big prayers. And number two, we change the way that we wait once we've prayed those prayers. Here's what I mean by that. Parental confession time. Sometimes when my babies cry, I don't respond right away. I don't. Put up this picture right here, this next one. Look at that little lip. <laughs> That's two seconds from meltdown. That's the sign. But when your babies are new, when you're a newbie, you respond immediately to every cry. Oh, what do you need? Oh, what can I get you? Oh, here's a toy. Laugh, laugh, laugh. But as time goes on, you learn to differentiate the cries, and you understand that different cries communicate different things. 
And so sometimes you, you do need to do that. You need to play with them and distract them, and that's what they need. But sometimes their need is something different. And so sometimes when my kids are crying, I know they're hungry. It's time for a bottle. And so rather than going and attending to them right then, I got to go to the kitchen, and I got to quickly prepare that thing, and get it ready, and now I come back and give it to them, and I meet the real need. So catch this. What about you? Are you crying out to God for something right now? And you're disappointed in the pace at which he is answering that prayer or the way in which he's answering that prayer. I want you to consider this morning that maybe God is in the kitchen preparing to meet your real need because your father already knows what it is that you need. You ever feel burdened in your life? You ever have times in life where life is just heavy and responsibilities and worries and cares are weighing you down? Do you ever feel that way? I'm the only one? <laughs> That's been the month of September. The month of September just in, in many spheres of life, personal, professional, family, stuff with the kids, life lately has just been heavy where I feel like I can't see more than about a half a day ahead at a time. And I know it won't last forever, but right now the, the time horizon is really, really short and there's just a heaviness in life. Not, it's not darkness. There's periods of darkness, but this is a, t- a time of heaviness. So here's what I do when I feel heaviness in my life. I'll get out a notebook. This is my current one. I'll open it up to a fresh page and I'll start making a list. And the heading of the list says, what's wrong? Because I find for me, it's good when I've got this burden inside of me and I can't really name it or put my finger on it. It's good for me to get it on paper and objectify it so I can look at it and say, that's what it is. And I'll just start making a list of everything that's wrong, that's bothering me, that I feel is a heavy weight on me. This time, the list was 22 items long. Whoa. But it helps you pray. See, and then you close the journal and you put it away for a while. You put it aside for two months And then you come back to it, and you'll be so surprised at the way that God worked through those problems that seemed like they were never going to go away. He's not necessarily going to answer them in the way that you're asking for him to answer them. Sometimes he'll surprise you. Sometimes things will just resolve themselves in an unexpected way. But you'll see how things work out. And the the, the thing about God to remember is that he lives at a point outside of time. So from God's vantage point on the mountaintop where he can see all of history, he can see all of your life from beginning to end. And he knows how this present crisis that you're in, this present heaviness that you're feeling, he knows when it's going to resolve and how it's going to resolve. So you can give it to him because your heavenly father knows what you need. So God is a father who delights in your very existence, who knows what you need. And third, God is a father who can comfort you in a way that no one or nothing else can. We see this in babies, and we see this over in the children's ministry, sometimes on Sunday mornings. There's the nursery room and the walker crawler room, and and sometimes a baby will start to fuss. 
And then that is a domino effect, and another baby will start to fuss because that baby's fussing. And then it just catches on like wildfire, and pretty soon you get all kinds of babies fussing, and they don't even know what they're fussing about. That room is pretty loud. And despite the best efforts of our staff, they're great, and the volunteers are just doing all that they can to distract them and play with them and, and take them out of the room on walks and everything like that, and nothing will calm them down until we put that little number up here in service. And the parent sees, uh-oh, it's my turn. And they go back. And you'll see it the instant they lay eyes on mom or dad. And they take them in their arms, and they're okay. And they're okay. And sometimes that's true of a baby. The only thing they really want, they just want mom. They just want dad. The Bible puts this in, in pastoral ways. Jesus in John chapter 10, where he's talking about being the good shepherd, says this. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. And in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so sometimes what we need to comfort us is God. Now, we all have objects of comfort. And for my daughter, put her up here on the next slide, she, she's the one of the two that just loves to be held. She loves to be in your arms. You say, okay, I'm going to put you down for a second. No, 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 no. You pick her up, but she's good. She's just good to go. And maybe she'll always be that way. I don't know. But we all, even as adults, have things that comfort us, that uniquely comfort us. When life isn't right, when we're just feeling off or burdened, we go to those things and it makes us feel better. For you, it might be a, a significant other, a person who just has that way of calming you down. It might be a favorite chair that you sit in at home or a, a TV show that's a guilty pleasure that you binge watch or music, a particular song that you listen to. And when you hear it, everything is okay. It might be work. Might be alcohol or drugs that calms you down. Might be surfing. Might be running or working out at the gym. Might be reading or overeating. The point is we all have things that we do to comfort ourselves. And some of those things are healthy things and some are unhealthy things, but this is it. Even if all your material needs are met and you feel calm and comforted, you're still missing something. And I'm here today, this morning, to tell you that that thing is God. Because apart from God, we are incomplete. Because God is not just your father. Jesus says he is your heavenly father. There's a peace inside of you that needs heaven. And nothing else and no one else will substitute. It's God. And so this is what your heavenly father did to meet that need in you. And then we'll bring this to a, to a landing. The first recorded words of Jesus are in Luke chapter 2. Do you remember the story where he's 12 years old and Mary and Joseph go down to Jerusalem and then they leave in a caravan and about a day later they notice, oh, Jesus isn't here. Where is he? I, nobody's seen him. And they go back and they find him in the temple and he's sitting there with the teachers and he's talking with them and teaching them and they're all amazed at his wisdom and his parents freak out and say, what were you doing? Why didn't you follow us? You worried us. And Jesus' answer is, did you not know that I needed to be 
Some Bibles say in my father's house or about my father's business. So that's interesting. One of the earliest utterances of Jesus captured in scripture is him calling God my father. Then Jesus is hanging on the cross and one of his last things that he says is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he starts by calling him father and he ends by calling him father. And then when he begins teaching and preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he calls God your heavenly father. So do you see the connection? If God the father is Jesus' father and he is your father, that makes you and Jesus related. And John chapter 1 says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or a husband decision, uh, human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You say, how does that work? Because I'm a grown adult. Well, it's the same question that Nicodemus asks in John chapter 3. What do you mean, Jesus, I'm born again? What does that mean? I'm born from above. How is that going to happen? As an old man, am I climbing inside my mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus says, no. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert so the Israelites could look to the snake and be healed of their disease, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who looks to him will believe and be saved. And in that, Jesus was talking about being lifted up on the cross and dying. So God does this miracle for you that by the death of his Son, he allows you to step into relationship with Jesus' Son, God the Father, a familial relationship where you become a child of God. All of us who are parents know that you lose a part of your life when you have kids. It just isn't enough time in the day, and your kids are needy. They really, really need you. And so about three weeks in, like this was some earth-shattering revelation, I reflected on the fact that, wow, I'm a different person. I I don't have the time for myself that I used to have. There's no time to exercise anymore. There's just not. I don't get to watch the TV shows that I wanted to watch before. I don't even get to sit down and read. I barely have time to take care of myself because I got to take care of these kids. I can't walk the dog anymore. I can't sleep when I want. I can't wake up when I want. You give your life for your kids. And yet, and yet, slowly, even at almost five months old, my wife and I are regaining glimpses of the old life. And one day the kids will grow up and they'll move out and be on us and life will once again be just about us. I'm no savior. I'm no savior. But Jesus gave it all. Jesus gave it all to the point of death, surrendering his very life for you. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Even though he was God, he didn't hang on to that. He let it go, and he humbled himself and became a servant of you. And he even humbled himself to the point of death, yeah, even a criminal's death on a cross. And he did that so he could bring you to God, the heavenly Father who loves you so, so much. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, in the example of you as the Heavenly Father, uh, there's so much there that realigns our perspective. It opens our eyes. 
And if we've, if we've experienced parenting, Lord, we remember those days when the kids were new and all that mattered was that they existed. All that mattered was that they, they were alive. I pray that you'd clarify our perspective and make it possible, even as adults, to see ourselves in the way that you see us. And Lord, there may be people here this morning who realize that their lives are incomplete. They are not living life to the full. They're aiming either too high at the wrong things or they're aiming too low. And we pray for that nice middle ground that you have for us, that we could live lives of contentment and lives where we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all those other things will be added to us. Lord, you know our hearts. You know what in us needs to change, what needs to yield, what needs to go because it's standing in the way of experiencing the fullness of who you are. We pray for a perspective change in the way that we look at you and look at ourselves and consider what's valuable. We pray that we could just let ourselves be loved by you. And whatever that block is that's stopping us, God, maybe it's a conception of you that was faulty. It was based on a human father who let us down. We pray that we could... Lay, lay that and leave that at the feet of the cross this morning, God, that we would not be held up in our, in our relationship with you. You do promise in the book of John that to all who receive you, to those who believe in your name, you give the right to become children of God. So we pray that for those that here this morning, Lord, who are distant from you, who are separated from you, who have fallen away from you, Lord, that they would know that they can call on the name of Jesus and step into a relationship right now this morning, a relationship based on your unconditional and unending love for us, simply by inviting Jesus into our lives and into our hearts, God. And you grant us the gift of the Holy Spirit and you change us as people from the inside out. And God, we want that. What a tragedy to get to the end of our lives, Lord, and look back and say, I missed it. I missed it. So, Lord, as our Heavenly Father, don't let us miss it. Put us on a course to collide with you and your great love every day because we know that once we've received your love and your salvation, we are forever changed. You're a great God. You're a great Father. Thank you for loving us despite our imperfections. And we pray that as we consider you as God the Father, it will just refresh our perspective, Lord, to see you as the perfect almighty, majestic, pure, heavenly Father that you are. We love you, Lord. And we give you our worship this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.